It's the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the 9-11 terrorist attacks tomorrow. And after 20 years, nothing looks like, it looks like nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, everything we've done for the last 20 years just went right back to where it was. Let's talk about what's going on in Afghanistan on the eve of the, uh, on the 20th anniversary, uh, on the eve of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And because it has been 20 years since 9-11, let's talk about some good things that the victims and their families are doing to try and cope with their experiences and their losses. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Uh, welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. I know that uh, uh, there things have happened this week. Uh, I don't want to talk about them now. I'd like to talk about 9-11. And you can't have 9-11 without talking about the Taliban and their takeover in Afghanistan. Um, the Taliban isn't embracing the United States values. Honestly, maybe we could actually learn something from this. The, the uh, Taliban decided to paint the old U.S. Embassy in Kabul on the U.S. Embassy, based on a uh, deal that the United States made back in 2020, they painted a mural on the embassy of George Floyd. That was that was taken down. That was painted over because, guess what? Uh, they don't care about George Floyd. And I don't either. This is probably one of the good things I liked with, that the Taliban did. Uh, I don't know what the tala- what the mural of George Floyd was doing in a U.S. embassy in another country, uh, but they did fly the gay pride flag over the U.S. embassy in Afghanistan also. My best guess is probably yours too. We were trying to show the world how racist and diverse we are, how racist and diverse we are, which is kind of weird. They're, those are two like totally conflicting ideologies we're racist but we're also diverse guess what taliban isn't diverse and the biden administration is learning that right now and what's bizarre they're surprised about it the taliban has set up their government okay and guess what not one woman is on that government council. Not one woman is within the government. Now, what's jacked up here, too, I don't want to get the negative things down in the beginning of the podcast, but what's really jacked up is that um, they are actually ho- holding their coronation for all these people on 9-11. And wait till you hear who they actually have within the government. Well, anyway, the lack of diversity was something completely unexpected to uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Let's listen to this jerk-off. Yesterday, the Taliban named a new interim government. We're assessing the announcement, but despite professing that a new government would be inclusive, the announced list of names consists exclusively of individuals who are members of the Taliban or their close associates, and no women. We're also concerned by the affiliations and track records of some of those individuals. We understand the Taliban has presented this as a caretaker cabinet. We will judge it and them 
by its actions. God, he's terrible. They're all terrible. <clears throat> hey, um, uh, Anthony, he, they are showing you what they're doing. This is the actions of the Taliban. Do, do you know how I knew they weren't going to put any women in the government? Because they said they weren't going to put any women in the government. It's in Sharia law. They told you, oh, there'll be equality for women as long as it applies to Sharia law. Sharia law does not have any rights for women. Period. End of story. The second he said that, nothing they do should have been a surprise. I really do not, uh, I really don't know what these people actually expected from these 8th century barbarians that now have $83 billion of our weapons. But let's take a look at who is actually in the Taliban government. Now, I'm going to butcher these names. And you know something? I really don't give a damn if I butcher them. Let, let me butcher them. Who cares? Sarika Judin Haganani, a designated global terrorist by Washington because of close links between Al-Qaeda and the Haganani network, that he heads, was named the Minister of, El of the Interior with oversight in Afghanistan's police and internal security. Yeah, you think that's bad? Yeah, he's got a $5 million reward leading to his arrest. How about M uh, Mala Hassan Akund, who served as foreign minister in the previous Islamic Emirate, which harbored Osama bin Laden and was ousted from power in 2001 U.S. invasion. Hmm. Mohammed Yagub, the Taliban's chief military, it was a military chief during the insurgency and the oldest son of the movement's founder, Mala Omar, who, by the way, became the minister of defense. Or Mullah Omar. He became the Minister of Defense, not Mullah Omar. He's just a son. By the way, who was Mullah Omar? Omar? He was the president of the Taliban between 1996 and 2001. Mullah Omar's brother, Mullah Abdul Manan, has been named Minister of Public Works. Abdul Ghani Baradar, head of the Taliban's political office in Cater and the face of the Taliban during the negotiations with internal community was appointed as one of the two deputy prime ministers. And finally, the hardcore of the Taliban leadership was all made up exclusive, exclusively of ethnic Pashtuns. What that means, that what's important to understand about this, they're all following the same ideology. It's a tyrannical government. They all believe the same thing. This is nothing more than communism except by religion. Not only is there no diversity of sex or race, there's no political diversity. Non-government sanctioned protests have already been banned over there. Any protests have been not only suppressed, but violently suppressed. We're talking gunshots. Women who decide they're going to protest the Taliban government, yeah, see how that works. By the way, there was a, uh, a law that was just stayed in Florida that said that uh, DeSantis said you can't riot in Florida 
or you'll go to jail. It's just that law has just been stayed as unconstitutional because you can't stop protest. No, that's not what the law says. You can't riot. So we can riot in the United States, but God forbid if you have a hold of protest in Afghanistan, they'll shoot you. And the administration pushed to make the Taliban into something it's not. And we don't understand why are you guys doing this? Here's Peter Ducey lighting the crap out of Jen Psaki. Again. Okay, moving on. Can you explain a little bit more about why the White House in a statement is calling the Taliban businesslike and professional? Well, I would note that in that statement, what we were announcing was the fact that a Qatari uh, Airlines flight successfully landed in Qatar with American citizens, legal permanent residents, and Afghans uh, on board who uh, joined us in our fight over the last several years. Uh, we wanted to note that the Taliban was cooperative in facilitating the departure of these American citizens and legal permanent residents from HKIA. We promised we would get American citizens out. We promised we would get legal permanent residents out. We promised we would get our Afghan partners out. And we promised we'd press the Taliban to get them out. And that's exactly what we did. Well, you're saying the Taliban is businesslike and professional. Their interior minister has an FBI wanted poster. He's got a $10 million bounty on his head. That's What's the business? We are here to celebrate the return of American citizens who wanted to leave Afghanistan, of legal permanent residents, of Afghans who fought by our side to Qatar successfully on a Qatari Airlines flight. Uh, and in order to get those people out, we had to work with some members of the Taliban to press them uh, and to work uh, in a business-like manner to get them out. Okay. That is what we were stating in the statement. And in that statement, it says this is a positive first step towards what? Towards getting additional people out who want to leave Afghanistan. Go ahead. You know how you know a politician is lying? When they start talking. And, and that's what Jen Psaki did. Jen Psaki did not. I, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I, I actually feel kind of sorry for her because she is being stuck. She's just a she's a liar beyond all belief. Don't get me wrong. But she's being stuck in such a bad situation where she's got to answer this crap. And she doesn't have an answer. She doesn't know how to answer. The messaging so far contradicts what we're seeing happening on the ground. It contradicts all the video that we're actually seeing. And they are lying to us. And we can tell they're lying to us. This isn't going to work out well for them. They're going to lose here. Now, there is some good news. I mean, they did... Uh, the Taliban did uh, let 200 people fly out on, I believe it was Thursday, and they let another 40 people fly out today. And that includes at least 120 Americans and green card holders. That That's good. That's good. But here's the thing that is beginning, I think, to rattle their cages a little bit. The United States is thinking... A lot of people, especially Republicans, are thinking, we're going to need to go back in. We're going to need to go back in. And I got news for you. We already know Taliban has televisions. They probably have those rabbit ear things on their TVs and stuff. But they do have television. They do have social media. And they're beginning to think, okay, if we push, we push. 
even Joe Biden is not going to have a choice if we see atrocities on social media. And we are seeing atrocities on social media, but so far they've just decided to ignore it and the media is going along with it. I don't know how long that can actually last. Uh, uh, Graham, um, I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, one of the senators basically said, hey, newsflash, uh, we're going to need to go back into, into Afghanistan because this isn't going to end. Now, yet I, I didn't mention this in the beginning, and I'm sure you're wondering why. But yesterday, Joe Biden made a speech forcing vaccine mandates on private businesses and for federal employees, unless they belong to a union like the teachers union or whatever union they happen to belong to. And they don't have to get vaccinated, but everyone else does. This is pretty big news. Now, you'd think I'd be talking about that all day today. Well, I have a few reasons why I'm not talking about it. First off, this is the crap I figured we were going to see. I want to talk about 9-11. I want to talk about the history of 9-11. And tomorrow, we're going to have more on the history of 9-11. Because I think everyone's forgotten about it. And everyone, a lot of people, especially younger people don't understand why this failure in Afghanistan is so catastrophic. His speech was probably the worst speech I have ever heard from an American president. And I want to play it, but I have to edit it. I, 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 I got it, and I was just like, I already wrote this one today. So I this is going to be a Monday thing. There are probably four or five little areas that I want clips that I want to use. And I really want to expand on his vaccine mandate because his vaccine mandate is, well, I, I, I tell you what's, what was terrible about the speech. It's an example of dictatorial tra- uh, tyranny. That's what it was. It absolutely was. And the thing is, the reactions to the speech are actually coming out right now. They are, they've been coming out since last night, very late. They're coming out now. And I want to bring those reactions into play because the reactions have been tough. I mean, this guy wanted to put a vaccine mandate on any private company that has more than 100 employees and fine them $14,000 per day if they do not meet the mandate. And he wants OSHA to deal with it, which, by the way, is, well, listen, none of this stuff is constitutional. And that's the other part. I need to look at the actual, not just the speech, but I have to look at the policy he's trying to commit. I think the whole thing is bullshit. I'm sorry, I cussed. I think the whole thing is BS. And you notice I didn't cut it out. But I think the whole thing is BS because I think he's trying to deflect from this disastrous Afghan pullout. I also think, you remember last week, he had a horrid jobs report. He also has crippling inflation, and his poll numbers have dipped into the 30s right now. Something Ben Shapiro said that was very interesting, polls 
Uh, President Trump had a bottom and he had a top. He was never going to get over 50% approval, but he was never going to go under 40% approval. Joe Biden doesn't have a ceiling. Joe Biden doesn't have a floor. And we're beginning to see it now. Joe Biden's approval rate right now and where the country is going right now is lower than Donald Trump's. But uh, we don't have to look at his poll numbers. All we have to do is listen to the people because the people are actually beginning to sit there and say, this is crap. Now, like I said, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is tomorrow and going to be celebrated across the country, especially where the terrorists actually crashed the planes. That includes the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Guess what? With this screw-up in Afghanistan and the takeover of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, the people who actually committed the 911 terrorist attack, the families of the victims, don't want him anywhere near any of the uh, terrorist attack sites. Listen to some of these. They're, they are absolutely... I think they're, they're precious. I think they're hysterical. But listen to some of the people who saw him in, uh, in New Jersey when he was inspecting the damage from Hurricane Ida. It was pretty bad. Leave them in ruins and leave Americans behind. Shit. Leave Come Americans on. behind. That's he would leave you behind. That's you guys protecting him. Yeah, he's not real popular. Not New Jersey. By the way, New Jersey's a blue state. It's a blue city that he was in. Kind of makes you wonder, huh? Makes you wonder a little bit. Yeah, he's not popular, and he's not popular for a reason. And it only got worse. Here's another piece of, like, beautiful audio. Listen to this one. That might have been a little harder to hear. I don't know, but I wanted to include it. Uh, She said, resign, you tyrant. Wow. Wow. You know something? People are getting sick and tired of this crap. And what they're really getting sick and tired of? Joe Biden turned his back on the people and just walked away. Never answered a question. Matter of fact, I can't remember the last time he did answer a question from the press. It's not good. And I don't think he's going to get away with this. I think this could be the end of his presidency. I mean, he's in the 30% as far as approval or the United States is going in the right direction. The economy is falling apart. We've got a crisis on the border. He has screwed up just about everything, everything diplomatically. Yeah, I think he's in trouble. But you know something? I don't want to talk about all the negatives. I don't want to beat on all the bad because there's just too many of there's too much bad 
tomorrow I'm going to hold another podcast to celebrate 9-11. I'm going to do something a little different. I am actually going to go through what happened minute by with a minute-by-minute minute timeline of the terrorist attack. I think it's important because we seem to have already forgotten what has happened, and we should never forget. And I, I'm hoping that maybe there are some things that you're going to learn that I didn't know. I mean, there are things I learned I had no idea about. Maybe there will be. I don't know. It was an important day. Our children lost a lot of freedom that day. The Department of Homeland Security, we suddenly can't walk onto a plane with our shoes on, our belts on. I mean, little things that a lot of people don't realize. Like, we can't carry a tube of more than two ounces of freaking liquid. We lost a lot of freedom that day. And they'll never know the freedoms that I had and my parents had. But today, there are some nice things that are happening 20 years after this attack. I know how I spent the first part of the I know I spent the first part of the art of the uh, podcast talking about uh, Afghanistan, and that was very negative. I think it it's hurtful that this president has taken twenty years. People have died. They've given their blood. Three thousand over three thousand people died on nine eleven, and he was good to go to just. Let the country fall to the same people who committed 9-11. But I, I just want to say there are some nice things that are happening. Even 20 years after the attack. One of the things most people don't realize is that not everyone was physically identified after the dust settled on 9-11. There were a lot of bodies, a lot of body parts lot of bodies damaged beyond recognition. And some bodies were not found for years, right? They actually find body parts six, eight, ten years after 9-11. That's how messed up this whole thing was. But the United States didn't stop trying. They didn't stop searching. This week two more bodies were actually identified. Now, these two were confirmed deaths, but there was no closure. So here's from USA Today. Chief Medical Examiner Barbara Sampson said on t in a Tuesday statement, Dorothy Morgan and a man whose identi identity is being withheld at the request of his family are the 1646th and 1647th confirmed deaths from the 911 terror attacks. Now, something I do want to point out, they've confirmed 1,650 deaths. There were 3,000, which means they haven't confirmed a little less than half of all the deaths. Isn't that sad? Continuing, the two deaths were confirmed from DNA analysis of the remains recovered from the site. Morgan's DNA came from the remains discovered in 2001, while the unidentified DNA man's DNA was confirmed from remains found 
in 2001, 2002, and 2006. This guy's body was found over a period of five years. Can you just, for a second, imagine the terror these people went? The destruction. Destruction! That these people's bodies actually went through. This is important. Families want closure. And having remains of their family members is an important detail to that closure. I hope we never stop trying to identify these people, especially when the technology gets better. All I have to say is, you two, Dorothy Morgan and whoever the gentleman's name is, rest in peace. And I hope the family can kind of rest in peace too. Now there's another, there's another um, story which I think is a good one, and I'm gonna start this with little personal experience. Okay, my son left me a voicemail the day he died, to wish me a happy birthday. So you can see that life was not. This was just yeah no. They, nothing's gonna hit me hard. Nothing's gonna hit you harder than your son's death on the day you're supposed to be celebrating your birth. I Yeah, my birthday, I don't even care anymore. I still have that voicemail. It's very important to me. And I keep copies of it everywhere, including my phone. I also keep his contact information on my phone. It m- might seem kind of dumb, but that's how I'm dealing with it. And it is a big deal to me. NPR did something that I thought was nice and actually very moving. Here is part of the article that NPR put out about their project. Quote, Voicemails are deeply embedded in the memories of 911. On that day in 2001, as people all across New York City tried to get a hold of their friends and family, cell phone networks were overloaded. And some of the victims inside the planes and towers leaving a voicemail was their last way of communicating with their loved ones. In the weeks leading up to the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, NPR set up an old old phone booth in Brooklyn Bridge Park across the river from the the new World Trade Center and invited people to leave a voicemail for someone they lost that day. By searching records, reaching out to national survivors' networks, and collaborating with facilitators of 911 support groups on Facebook, we connected with six people who were willing to share their stories with us. People like Trish Strain, whose husband died in the North Tower just six days after the second, his second son, their second son was born. And Matthew Bocci who was only nine years old when he lost his father in the attacks. Their individual experiences offer insight into the nature of grief and how it changes, or doesn't, over time. If you go to dumbassestalkingpolitics.com, I actually have the video there. You should take a look at it. Now, I know that this might seem self-serving and kind of exploitative, exploitative by NPR and a commercial value sort of way, but
but I'd rather not look at it that way. I watched the entire video. I thought it was very moving. And messages show the pain. When my son died, I, I actually called his phone number several times. And unfortunately, his phone number was given to somebody else. But I still has contact information. It does allow the family members to let out some of their emotions. And I'm not going to question what their motives are. I don't care. And looking at this video, this, short, this video, about 15-minute video, it just shows the pain that these people are going through even 20 years after the loss of their loved ones. So I'm not going to question why NPR did this. I'm not going to question why the victims' families did this. I'm not going to question any of that. I just thought it was actually a really nice video. And you should take a look at it. And, you know, here's some good therapy. Uh, a bunch of families from nine, of the 911 victims and some survivors are going to the 911 Tribute Museum in New York and actually talking about their family members and their experiences to teach people about what happened in 9-11. Even children of the victims, most who had very limited memories of the tragedy, are going to visit the monuments and museum and museum and, and speaking about their experiences. The reason this is important is not about the mental or emotional well-being of the family members, as they've said. It's mostly to teach the newer generations about the attacks and the grievous loss that occurred in this country. Most of the last two generations never knew anything about 911. And I think that is probably why there is such a polarity in this country. That statement, never forget, well, we've forgotten already. There, a terrorist attack on 9-11 brought the United States really together. There was no polarization, politically, in the media, or socially. It was probably the most patriotic time in the United States. As a matter of fact, I can only think of one time that could be considered more patriotic, and that's when the United States team beat the Soviet Union in the 1980, 1980 Winter Olympics in hockey. But we've kind of forgotten. But these people want to spend some time, their own time. And yeah, some of, the, some of it's just to kind of get over it but some of it's to teach and I really think I really can't believe we've actually forgotten about 9-11 less than 20 years I'd say less than 10 years after it actually happened now one more thing I want to show you let's just say you want to watch there are four there are three documentaries because I've been watching 9-11 documentaries since night since for about the last week or so uh national geographic the history channel they have a bunch of 911 documentaries that are great um okay so i have three documentaries and one movie which i think is great let's talk about the movie first because i think you've probably seen it it's called zero dark 30 zero dark 30 
is the actual killing of Osama bin Laden. It is dramatic. It's based on truth. It's not completely true. A lot of it is. Not all of it is. Um, but it is a very American movie, pro-America movie. And it shows how much our intelligence agencies and our military work to get a hold of that bastard that actually approved this attack. It's very dramatic. I don't know. I watch it a lot. I watch it probably once a year. I watch I watch 9-11 documentaries every year because it was a horrifying... I was driving to work when I heard that one of the buildings was hit and then 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes later I heard another building was hit and by the time I got to work I heard all they were both down and you got to understand something back then we didn't have video or anything like we have today YouTube, TD, phones didn't stream this stuff you had to keep refreshing your computer your web page to get, for me, it was CNN, to actually get what had happened. And considering I was in New York, I couldn't believe it that those two huge freaking buildings fell. Well, so I, I like to watch it. I like to watch documentaries. So here are three documentaries that I, I actually really liked. Um, 911, A Day to Remember. Now, I like this documentary because it talked about what actually happened that day from the people who were there. I thought it was very dramatic. Uh, I thought it was very heart-wrenching. Um, the difference is that this one doesn't talk about the terrorists at all. The terrorists had nothing to do with it. They have a ton of cut audio from the... Uh, military, they got a ton of cut audio from the air flight controllers. They got a ton of cut audio from all that. What they're leaving out is the terrorists, the cut audio from the terrorists because they didn't want to do that. So in other words, this was never a terrorist attack according to this one. That's the one reason I didn't like it. It's kind of like, guys, it's, this is history. It's a documentary. But you're leaving out kind of some important details of this documentary. The other one I liked was 9-11, Minute by Minute. And this goes through, this is actually a series of six shows that goes through exactly, literally, minute by minute, what happened during the 9-11 attacks. Now, when I say minute by minute, I mean, okay, the buildings are burning for 30 minutes, and then 30 minutes later they fall. And they skip that 30 minutes. So it, it's it's very good. And probably the best show, the best documentary, is 9-11, the Filmmaker's Commemorative Edition. There was a guy, there were two guys that were actually doing a documentary, not on 9-11. They were doing a documentary on the New York Fire Department. And these guys were charged with actually following the New York Fire Department all over the place. That's all they do, were doing. They were specifically targeting on a rookie of the New York Fire Department to see how he would survive. Well, one day, um, they, they the first about 
20, 30 minutes of the film is just them firing, following the fire department. Don't forget, this is a 9-11 commemorative. Just following the fire department. And then, one day, on September 11th, fire department gets called because they someone smells gas. So the fire department is going up and down the street trying to figure out if there's actually a gas leak anywhere. And this filmmaker actually is the only one to capture the first plane into the, I don't know if it's the South or the North Tower. I think it's the North Tower. He actually caught the plane hitting the tower. So when you sit back and you watch all of this, and by the way, a day to remember and minute by minute, his footage, and I can't remember his name, but his footage is actually the footage they use for that first plane hitting. And it's a very deep, he ended up in the North Tower while it collapsed. When the South Tower collapsed, he ended up there. And he was filming. It is the most heart-wrenching, horrid, scary videos I've ever seen. It's only 45 minutes long. It's not very long at all. But I cannot believe that that video... And by the way, if you go on YouTube, you can actually look it up. He's got his entire five, six hours of video filmed. It was cut up a little bit. But it was an absolutely heart-wrenching video. You saw firefighters die. You saw... It, it, was, it was something. So if you're interested, um, I would say either rent or buy that film. It was probably the best film I had ever seen. So... Okay, guys, uh, we're going to have another one tomorrow. We're just going to talk about 9-11. I hope you guys have a great weekend if you decide not to listen to me tomorrow. This is Gene, and you've listened. Oh, by the way, visit my website at dumbassestalkingpolitics.com so you can actually read some of the links. This is Gene, and you listen to Dumbasses Talking Politics.